Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. And afternoon and evening. <laughs> it's great to see y'all again. Um, today I wanted to talk about uh, the Bodhisattva vow and a particular part of it, which is um, something I've been thinking about for a while. So, as you know, every morning we, we chant, uh, Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to embody it. And that line has just been really working on me for months. Uh, you just, you know, preparing to be uh, one of the head students and just kind of in general, just really been thinking about like, what does this mean? You know, oftentimes, like I said in my last talk, I think about these chants that we say daily and sometimes there's just something that just kind of grabs me about it and I just really start working on it and wondering what this means. Um, so I wanted to talk about uh, embodiment and what embodiment means uh, in relation to Buddha's way, being unsurpassable. Um, and so I, I want to kind of just present the way I've been thinking about this and not really to present, not to um, give any answers, <laughs> but maybe just raise some, some inquiry that we could, we could hold together and, and talk about in a little bit. Um, so yeah, so what does it mean to embody Buddha's way? Uh, it just seems like such a big, big question. And um, so I, the way I started approaching this was to think about like, what does embodiment mean? You know, it's such a fundamental thing. And it's one of those things that's like, it's like gravity. Once you start to try to define it, you're like, what is this thing that's so ubiquitous, you know? And um, the first thing I thought of as I was sitting with this was presence. I think how, how presence has so much to do with an embodiment. And uh, one of the things I've been reading lately um, in my program is uh, some reading from A.H. Almas. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's, uh, he's, um, he's formed this, this kind of school of thought called the, the diamond approach. And I haven't gone too much into what his whole, he has a, a huge body of work. Um, but what I've been reading about was this book on presence. And uh, so I wanted to just kind of read a little bit of his work just to tell you what kind of what he said. And I'll say that this is um, part of a chapter that's about, or yeah, it's a chapter that's probably 40 pages long and it's all about presence, like from different angles. It's very uh, dense. <laughs> I won't go into all of it, but the, the part that really struck me from his work was um, he was talking about the presence around birth, around the birthing process and how, um, yeah, uh, this, this struck me. So I'll just, I'll just read this part and then we can, we can go from there. The experience of presence is most clearly felt when a baby is born, when it is out into the world. One may then experience a shift, an expansion in the energy of the room. One feels that the room definitely has a new presence, a fresh presence. 
The baby is experienced not only as a body, but something much more, something much more alive and much more profound. One may, if sensitively attentive, behold the newcomer as a clear and definite presence. The baby is a being. A being is present with no name, no history, no extras. One may in fact observe that different babies have different qualities of presence. The quality of presence is not just a matter of their size, how they look, or what sex they are. Each seems to have its own unique quality of presence, which is quite obvious at birth, and which continues to be the mode of being for the particular baby. One may behold the emerging presence of the baby as a sweetness, a fluffiness, a tenderness, or the presence is felt as peacefulness, quietness, a stillness. Yet another baby confronts us with a presence of clarity, lightness, and joy. Another might fill the room with strength, solidity, and immovability. And uh, yeah, that just really grabbed me. You know, I was like, you know, all this discussion about what is presence, and I, I read that and I was like, yeah, I can totally relate to that. You know, when our daughter was born, uh, I didn't know what to expect <laughs> in so many ways. But then, yeah, there was just this feeling of like, oh my God, there's another person here, you know? And, and she had an essence to her. <laughs> Sounds familiar? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, there's, there's like a suchness to it there that I can't really, I don't know how much it's worth defining much more than that, but um, you know, on the, on the other side of thing, you know, the, well, the great matter, <laughs> if you've been with someone when they, when they pass away, you can feel the opposite. There's like one less person there and it's just something to it. Um, and this is something that, uh, you know, uh, as a Hakomi practitioner, which is a, um, psychotherapy based on embodiment largely that I think about a lot, you know, like those of us that do Hakomi, um, presence is really, really important and, uh, fundamental to the method really and the healing. Uh, and Ron Kurtz said, uh, he's the founder of Hakomi. He said, the state of the facilitator is the most important thing. So this the state of the person sitting in that seat as the Hakomi facilitator. It's the most important thing, the most fundamental part of the relationship and it has so much to do with presence. And in Hakomi also, we talk about loving presence. And so this, this kind of unconditional positive regard that we give our, our clients and the way that we are with them, the way that they can feel us in that kind of loving field. Um, and in Hakomi, we're, we're taught and we talk about how one of the easiest ways to enter into this field of loving presence is to see the person that you're with as an inspiration. It's just, it's a, it's a really reliable gateway to enter into that, that loving presence with somebody. And so, uh, this was something that I wanted to just kind of offer as a, as an inquiry, something I've been thinking about is when I'm sitting, primarily is when I, I feel like I'm embodying, uh, Buddha's way. Um, can I see my practice as an inspiration? And can I see, I, I often, I feel the people around me in the room and the people online and I, I, I can really tap into 
feeling all of us as an inspiration is inspiring. And that, that helps me feel like I'm, I can enter into that loving presence. Um, so that's the first part of this that I, I would offer around embodiment or embodying Buddha's way. And the second thing that came to me as I was thinking about this was the concept of dignity. You know, we're, we're taught in this, in this form to sit upright and to be conscious of our, of our movements and, you know, the way that we practice. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking like, what is, what does it mean to be, to have a dignified, uh, embodiment, right? Like it's not necessarily, you know, I, you know, think about it. Like I sit up a little bit straighter, uh, and that sort of thing. But it's not necessarily even just like sitting straight or sitting in a particular way or even sitting at all, you know, like, um, you can be lying down, you can be walking and have a dignified presence without you. Um, but it does seem to be, it does seem to be a part of this. And uh, one of the people I thought of, of course, are our teachers, you know, Peg and Flint and others. And uh, another person that I've always associated with dignity is uh, Chogyam Trungpa, who's the founder of the Shambhala school, Vajrayana school. And he is um, controversial to say the least in his actions. <laughs> but he, one thing I have, I have looked to him for, for many years is his, his sense of dignity. He always had this like way about him that he, you know, he would wear like really nice suits and have a tie and, you know, he just, he was always like, he just had this way about him and he really asked his, his uh, students to, to do the same thing. So I wanted to read a little bit from him about what he says around dignity. He said, uh, practice begins by sitting down and assuming your seat cross-legged on the ground. You begin to feel that simply being on the spot, your life can become workable and even wonderful. You realize that you're capable of sitting like a king or a queen on a throne. The regalness of that situation shows you the dignity that comes from being still and simple. And uh, I really um, rely on this from in my own practice because sometimes things can feel so chaotic. There's so much going on, you know, just inside and outside everywhere. And uh, sometimes I feel like all I can do is just sit with, with some dignity in my own being to, to try to be with it, try to meet it. Um, I also wanted to share something that some teaching from uh, Suzuki Roshi. Uh, and this is, um, taken from one of his talks at the San Francisco Zen Center in 1971 about dignity. Even in the middle of confusion, you can have the calmness of your mind. Because you have calmness of your mind, you can see clearly and you will find out how you can, how you can solve the problem or how you resolve the problem. When you see it, problems will dissolve. You don't fight with it, but you see how it dissolves or how it resumes calmness when there is no problem. To do so, what is necessary is the practice, the big decision to practice Zazen right here. Only when you have this confidence, you will have absolute dignity. 
not small dignity, not your dignity or my dignity, but like the sutra says, every deity in this heaven, every deity in heaven will listen to you, will admire you and respect you. That is not just talk, it's not just story, it happens in that way. And it has been happening in that way for all of our Buddhist history. I really like the way that he said, it's not just my dignity or your dignity, it's dignity. Um, which also drew me to one of the uh, paramitas, which is diligence, effort, vigor, uh, or virya, virya, I think in Sanskrit. Um, and to me, that's very much related to dignity. Like what is the, the energy I'm bringing to the practice, right? Like what is that, that thing that I'm bringing to uh, the way that I sit? Um, and again, you know, it can take many forms. It doesn't just mean sitting in a posture. It can be, this is one of the things I want to talk about with y'all today. It's like, what, is it, what does this mean to you? you know? um, then the other, so the, the third component of this that I, I thought was relevant was as I, you know, reading through the Bodhisattva vow, again, the way that we chant it here at Apamata is we say, Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to embody it. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, we vow to embody it. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, this vow embodies it. I was, I was like, that's uh, kind of the answer right there. And you know, one of the answers right there is like, I said I wouldn't provide answers, but I mean, <laughs> oh, it's, it's right there. But our, uh, our actions, well, what we do with our embodiment what is um, a way to enact Buddha's way, the unsurpassable way of, of Buddha, of his teachings. And, you know, it, it just it kind of like this, there's this third part kind of opened it up for me. And I was thinking like the fact that we're speaking this out in space during when we, when we say these vows is an embodiment of Buddha's way, right? I mean, um, just saying, just showing up and saying the vows together bodily is a way to uh, enact Buddha's way. Which again reminded me of uh, a quote from Suzuki Roshi, strictly speaking, there are no enlightened beings, there's only enlightened activity, right? So once we have this, embodiment, once we have presence, dignity, what do you do with it? How do you move with it? One of the things it could be is, is just showing up and saying the vows together. Um, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was pretty much it for uh, what I, the way I, I just wanted to offer kind of how I was thinking about this and breaking it apart like this and then really, um, was looking forward to holding this with with all of you and seeing what you, what how does this land for you and, and how do you feel like you uh, embody Buddha's way in this? And just take any questions or reflections or deepening around any of this. Yeah, I was um, listening to a book last night and the man was talking. Carol, about I'm so sorry, we can't see Anne. 
practicing a lot more, um, you know, I would take my laptop and I'd be walking through the house, but I would hold it in a particular way that felt like, um, like there, there was just kind of a care, like, oh, this is, this is a valuable thing, you know, many hands have come together, many substances have come together to make this thing. So I was appreciating that, um, the dignity. And then when you brought up, <laughs> just coming back to the childbirth thing, I was like, well, what was my son's presence? Mm -hmm. And 
I kind of feel like I had the opposite experience because like, I, I don't know how to, because I got, my son was born and um, no, the midwives weren't there. So it was just me and my wife. <laughs> so it was very, it was very scary. And so um, I think I left my body. <laughs> I really left my body and probably had like two days more of like mania, just kind of <laughs> running around. But I do remember coming back into my body, like I got into our hot tub on day three and I just remember feeling like, uh, like everything just kind of like sunk back and then I feel like, so I, you know, then maybe I started even to feel his presence more. Mm. But. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So a leaving and then a coming back. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe just the last thing, like you, like sitting together. I mean, I've been sitting little like scraps, you know, by myself these days, but like I can sit for 30 minutes amidst like with you all and it feels more effortless, you yeah. know, like I actually sat still <laughs> for 30 minutes and just, um, I guess the presence of everybody, like how maybe the capital D dignity that you yeah. sort of spoke of, it feels like, an entrance into that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. I feel very grateful right now. Thank mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for being here. I think that last point you were speaking to was something that is kind of like the, the, the wrapper around all of this for me is like how we're doing this for each other in a way. Yeah. It's for ourselves and also for each other mm -hmm. and how we affect each other. Mm -hmm. Marla. Good morning. Um, the the embodiment aspect. I I want to comment on the difference between um, what I imagine it's like to be there in person and to be with you all online. Being alone in one's home, sitting, it's easy to follow the form and sit upright and. Yet, when studying the Dharma alone, there's something so different about being online and seeing you in the Zendo and all of the formality that you demonstrate and the dignity that you all have and the silence and the, the congruity of your actions. I feel like I'm with you. And it is such an important aspect of my, um, of my practice to be with you. And I'm grateful for that and just wanted to comment on how important your presence on my screen is because you're there together. And I feel like I'm there with you too. Mm. Thank you so much, Marla. Mm. I, I would, I would say, uh, <laughs> conversely, it's this, it's, uh, we feel your presence as well there. I was, I was thinking about that today as I was like thinking about this talk and looking at the screen and I was like, yeah, there's, I mean, y'all's presence is, is very much felt as well. And your practice is felt as well for us. Thank you. And Maria. Hi, yeah, I echo what Marla says. It is always wonderful to be together in this way. And um, and I think for me, like I vow to embody it. There's something about, I mean, I've talked a bit about it this week, but there's something about the forms for me, you know, doing them over a number of years with each passing year it's like it cultivates a space within me 
that's ready to for me to come back to so that in the midst of like hecticness or difficulty or stress my body remembers that place and comes back so there's something for me the forms are so I used I I didn't like them at first you know years ago I was like why are they doing these things you know what what's all this bowing about and you know and then in time I realized it it, you know it's all slowly helped me to meet meeting the world right now in this moment in this again and again and again every time we do it and it's, it's gradually kind of slowed me down in other ways it's like um you know bringing in routine little things around the house that, that you could call forms like every time i make a cup of tea i come back to my breath every time i touch my front door i take i, I check in am i here am i awake and it's kind of cultivating and bringing in those things that help us to come back. And for me, um, I vow to embody it. There's something about committing to coming back. It's just, we're always going to go away. We're always going to wander off. It's inevitable. You know, we, we live in a culture of distraction. We're trained for distraction, you know, and, it, and it, it's committing to that, just coming back again and again. And, and for me, it's been about incorporating ways to do that because sometimes my system and body needs help to be reminded to come back. And that's where the forms come in. That's where these little things of taking a breath before making a cup of tea or, you know, I'm walking up some stairs. Am I here? Am I in my surroundings? And really coming back into the room, into the surroundings and back to my breath again and again and again. And that slows me down enough to meet the world and to notice my impact on the world and to take care of my impact on other more so than it would be if I wasn't coming back repeatedly, you know, if I wasn't committed to doing that. And if I hadn't practiced the forms all these years, I don't think it would be as embodied, you know, as like when we walk around a supermarket, you know, and do we take care of the things on the shelves? You know, do we, do we take time to thank somebody, you know, that that's helping us and do we meet, do we meet that moment? And for me, that's that's what embodying the vow is. It's about meeting the moment, meeting people, meet, meeting each person fully present, checking in, am I here? And if I'm not, come back. Now I'm here. Now we can begin. If you're here, I'm here. You know, it's that kind of just committing to come back again and again. So yeah, there's ways that we can really cultivate that and, and, and practice that. And, and then it makes it more of a, I mean, it, it makes us, it, it, for me, it's kind of brought me closer to my habits. You know, they say, we're not going to get rid of our habits, but walk intimately with them, get to know them. And we can only do that if we slow down and, and if we kind of come back to ourselves, otherwise we're just fast and getting on with the world and, and kind of in it. And it's like Flint always says, you know, we can practice our condition or we can practice with our conditioning. And, and I think when I'm not here, I'm practicing my conditioning, you know, but when I'm present, I can practice with it and take care of how I am in the world and hopefully alleviate some suffering that I might add to, to the world. And, um, yeah, so yeah, that's for me. Yeah. The forms have been amazing. They've just been an incredible way to slow down and any way you do that, you know, gardening or any, any task you might do, loading the washing machine, making them moments to just come back. To, to breath and to just slow down and to be here and to notice the washing machine and what sits on top of it and what's on the windowsill. You know, it's quite often I'll be like, oh yeah, I haven't noticed that. 
you know and it's really kind of just bringing in and take, taking in what's around for me so yeah anyway, that's Thanks, Maria. <clears throat> um, I hate to always be the one quoting Trevor Hall, but I do. So <laughs> it reminds me a lot of the song lyric in and through the body. And he just kind of repeats that lyric over and over again. It's in and through the body. It's in and through the body. Um, and I think a piece of this for me is the uh, is leaning back into the experience of this beautiful instrument mm -hmm. and all of the experiences that it holds um, the grief, the sadness, the shakiness, the you know the joy. Uh, all of it. It's it's all right here, um, and so that to me open it opens inward and outward when i think of it in that way it's like this is the experience that this body is having and this is um this is it yeah this is it this is it yeah it's it's um it's kind of weird when i find myself being disembodied in my thoughts you know like thinking that there's anything else <laughs> thank you. Jeanette. Hello, thank you so much for this um, deep conversation. Um, I have a question. So we were talking about different moments that call us to be fully present. Um, I'm wondering if embodying uh, the Buddha's way is connected to equanimity or if it's just being fully who you are at that moment. So if you're grieving, you weep. Um, if you're falling in love with your newborn, you're falling in love. It's not about equanimity. Does that question make sense? Totally makes sense. Yeah, and I think that's, that that was really the spirit of what I wanted to how I wanted to have this conversation with everybody today is like what does this mean to me and what questions does this bring up I think that's a wonderful inquiry Jeanette like is it equanimity or is it just being my full authentic self in each moment or is it something else you know it's, or is it being my full authentic self and then doing the thing that needs to be done regardless of how I feel mm. yeah would, would you say that's more like living by from a place of vow or something yeah. else? Living from vow. Mm -hmm. So yes. what are your thoughts? I, I can, well, I mean, that last point, I can really relate to that when it's, you know, I may not want to get up so early in the morning, but, <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've taken vows and I've, I've said yes to this practice and I, you know, I want to be here for my friends and, for myself and for everyone. And so, you know, more times than not, I say yes and I show up anyway <laughs> in, in an embodied way. So. I love the, um, the mention of there being no 
enlightened being, just enlightened activity. Um, I don't know if anyone else has this predilection, but as soon as I hear this subject raised, my first thought is, oh, I'm a bad Buddhist because most of the time I'm not fully present. Mm. But that statement sort of unhinges that whole thought because it's not about being a certain being and any moment in which I am fully present is as fully present as one can be, that it, it is the Buddhist way. And perhaps by focusing on times when I am present rather than the times when I'm not, I will turn toward rather than away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love the way you said that, Jeanette. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sounds like a good band name, Bad Buddhist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ellen. Uh, Genev, I thought that was such a great question. Um, and so the way I started thinking about it was uh, with uh, the baby being born and falling in love with it uh, example. Because, and, and how does equanimity fit into that? And um, so, I don't know, I've had a couple of babies and um, that love is so big. It's so big. And, and exactly what John Eric was talking about, there was a, mine, mine were distinctly different, you know, from the get go. Um, but there's something about that love that was totally connected. And it was very much bodily experience, <laughs> you know, just actually given birth. And it was bodily, it was a, a, such connection between the baby and me, you know, such a real physical, I mean, there was an umbilical cord, I mean, a real physical connection. And uh, so that makes me think that at least in that kind of love, there was an equanimity because of the person, something about the personal, the, the connection, something about the connection. And um, I mean, I'm still puzzling on your on your question, but that was like the example that came up for me. Like there was, uh, this wasn't like a, a crazy love, like, you know, like a big infatuation. Like that's when you're not connected to yourself or something else. But in that particular love, there was a sense of groundedness and connection. And, and um, I see equanimity in that. And uh, I think also, I can't remember your other example, was it grief? There, there's a, a very much in, uh, in grief. For me, when I experience grief, um, well, it can be wild, wild and crazy for one thing. And then and that's, there's no equanimity in that. It's like all these crazy flashes of memory. And, you know, if anybody has been through grief, it's not, not easy. But as you start start getting settled into it, you do, I, for me, in my experience, I started feeling much more grounded. I, I had to take walks, <laughs> like, like grounding was important. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, so, so there was a wild, crazy, disembodied grief, but there was also, a, there, there was possible to find some equanimity in grief which was also having to do with connection, connection to myself, to myself. 
and also to the person who had died, you know, sort of feeling like, oh, yes, they're actually part. They're, they're not so gone as I thought, <laughs> you know, maybe not quite so gone. So anyway, I love that question. It made me have to really look at the difference between you can feel like this wild, crazy lack of equanimity, or you can feel, you can feel, but still have a sense of being grounded and embodying the Buddha, you know? So mm -hmm. anyway, thank you for that question. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ellen, for that reflection. I, I mean, you know, just, just this conversation, I think we can get a sense of like how vast this is. Like this is a, this is a very big, uh, it's like life. <laughs> you know? And yeah, that, that's why I was, I was so drawn by that, the image of, of birth, because it's like, that's maximum embodiment. Like that's, mm -hmm. you know, that is what is happening. Mm -hmm. And then there's this person that's like a part of your body and then they come out of the body and they're still connected by the umbilical cord. And then, you know, it's just like, it's amazing. <laughs> it's a miracle. I was reminded of the chant we do about, um, I take refuge in Buddha before all being, immersing deeply in the merciful ocean of Buddha's way. And the immersing in the ocean really seems physical to me, really feels an embodiment instead of, I'm thinking about Buddha. <laughs> yeah. I'm immersing in an ocean. Yeah. 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 That's a very embodied, visceral yeah. image. Yeah. Or like in the, you know, the, um, what is the chant we've been reading uh, every day now? All is the unending manifestation of the awakened one, everything. Yeah, same thing. Well, thank you all for holding this with me. Really wonderful. I'm, I'm so grateful for your inquiries and your reflections and everything you brought to this. Thank you. <laughs>